Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, and stand with me when you are there. Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to read, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, the very first verse of chapter 4 ought to, Lord, create in our hearts a humble reverence before you, Lord, as we are reminded, God, that this thing that we've been given, salvation, is not only a gift, but it is also a walk. It is something that we are to exercise on a daily basis. You've been given us everything that we need, Lord. You've equipped us. You've called us, Lord. You have sent us. We ask you this morning, Father, that you would help our hearts to be receptive to your word, to your spirit, Lord, to what it is that you would say to each one of us individually. Lord, we are so thankful for your work in our lives. We're so thankful for all that you have done, Lord, and yet we know that there is more to do. So we pray that you would help our hearts to listen, Lord, to your voice this morning, that we would be about your mission. We would be on your timetable, God, we would be walking according to your plan and your will. And so we come right now, Lord, we ask you to do a work. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for the communion that we will partake of here in just a few moments as well, as we remember (laughs) the cost, Lord, of our salvation and all that Jesus Christ has done. So, Lord, come now by your spirit. Lord, come speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, we come to the second part of the book of Ephesians. We move from the worth of the believer to the walk of the believer. You've heard me say the first three chapters are doctrinal. They are about the doctrine. Well, as we come to the last three chapters in the book of Ephesians, we find the employment of what we have just learned, the doctrine that we've been given. We are called to put the principles into practice. Verses, our chapters 1 through 3 describe for us this, the incredible riches that we've been given, that we have inherited through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul spends, listen to this, 66 verses, 66 verses in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to explain to us the doctrines of election, predestination, Adoption, redemption, and salvation. And also the inheritance that accompanies these things. Now isn't it interesting that it's 66 verses? Because we know that God spent 66 letters or books of the Bible to explain to us the very things that Paul does in 66 verses in the book of Ephesians. Listen, if you haven't been overwhelmed by the, 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 the truths that are contained in the book of Ephesians, I would challenge you to check your heart because it is a summary of the entire Bible in the first three chapters, 66 verses uh, that we have been going through. And it has been amazing uh, for me. I don't know about you, but it has been very, very life transforming for me. Now, Paul, what I believe summarizes uh, what he's talking about In chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 12 through 16, it says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he himself, that he, that he might create in himself 
one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And that's what I call good news. Amen? Is that not good news? That is amazing news. Notice that all of the bad stuff, the fact that we have been separated, that we were alienated, that we were strangers is all past tense for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not get any better than the two words that Paul says that transition the past tense to the present tense, and he says, but now. But now, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and by the redemptive power of his blood, we are now reconciled to God and to each other, and we have an inheritance, not sometime down the line, but right here, right now. That is amazing. He has done so much through Jesus Christ. Now, we who were once poor have now been made rich in Christ. As we come to chapters 4 through 6, Paul tells us to walk in these riches, to walk in these riches. And and what we find is six times in chapters 4 through 6, Paul will reference the word walk. What does it mean? It literally means to live or behave in a customary manner with focus upon continuity of action. Continual effort, focus on walking out the principles that have been laid before you. The last three chapters uh, can be summarized like this. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, walk in unity. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 15. Chapter 5, verse 18, walk in purity. Chapter 5, verse 19 through chapter 6, verse 9, walk in harmony. And finally, chapter 6, verses 10 through through 24, walk in victory. It's about a walk. It's about intentionally living or behaving based on not who you are, but who Christ made you to be, what, what he's done for you. The fact that you've been born again, that he has given you this incredible inheritance that you don't have to wait for, that you can have right now, that you can walk in today. So as we begin this morning at looking at the exhortation to walk in unity, uh, I'm calling this message a walk that is worthy, a walk that is worthy. And I've, I've outlined it for you like this in four points. Verse one, the calling that commands a walk that is worthy Verses 2 through 3, the characteristics that accompany a walk that is worthy. Verses 7 through 11, the charismata that empowers a walk that is worthy. And finally, verses 12 through 16, the cultivating effects of a walk that is worthy. Let's consider the calling that commands a walk that is worthy. We just read it. I, therefore, verse 1, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, Notice Pastor Paul here. He has his pastor hat on because pastors are called to teach, to exhort, to correct, to train. And that is exactly what he's doing here. He is pastoring these people in Ephesus from a distance. He is in prison and he's saying, listen, it's great for you to know the principles, but now it's time to put them into practice. So let me exhort you to walk. He Next Notice the word, I therefore, that word, we always have to ask ourselves what it's there for. What is, it, what is he doing? He's connect, it's a connective word. It's connecting what he just said to what he's about to say. What did he just say? Chapters 1 through 3, you can look it up later. You can read it later. But that is what he's connecting to chapters uh, 4 through 6. He is urging, he is exhorting believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I find that interesting because Paul himself, before he ever even says a word to you and I about how to practice what he's preaching, he's, pre- he's practicing it himself. How do we know? Well, look what it says there. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Why is Paul a prisoner of the Lord? He's, a pr- he's imprisoned in Rome for sure. Uh, He doesn't consider himself a prisoner of Rome. He considers himself a prisoner of the Lord. And the reason for that is because Paul 
was put in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he trusting the Lord, that the Lord has him there for a purpose. And we know, the, we know that many, many great things came out of this, right? Well, how can anything good come out of this? I mean, you know, I'm in prison. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of this burden. Listen, the Apostle Paul, who was beaten, imprisoned, and all of this, looks forward and says, God, you know what you're doing. I would suggest you do the same. No matter where you find yourself today, he's sovereign. He knows what he's doing, and I know that it's difficult, but listen, trust him. Trust him. Talk to him. Commune with him. Spend time with him. Why can Paul say the things that he says here? Because he is in intimate relationship with the Lord. Perhaps your issue is meant to press you in a little bit further. Maybe that's the only way that it would happen. So here's what I suggest. Consider yourself lucky that the Lord is at work in your life. He's sovereign. He is, he is watching you. He is at work in your circumstance. But Paul says, let me just tell you to, to walk out this, 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 these principles, but let me show you. I'm doing it myself. I am in prison for the sake of the gospel. It's one thing to exhort somebody to walk in a manner that's worthy, and it's an entirely different thing to show them. Paul is not asking you and I to do anything that he himself isn't doing, and Jesus would do the same. Jesus did the same. He does not ask you to do anything that he himself didn't do for you. Paul is illustrating what it means to walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called, to be willing to do whatever necessary, to pay whatever price necessary, to make sure, listen, that the gospel is both portrayed and proclaimed to all the world. When you were saved, you were given a commission it's it, almost like your birth certificate from the Lord. He said, oh, you were born again. Here's your birth certificate. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, read it. That is your commission. That is what the Lord told you to do. It's, it's across the board. Every Christian is called to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. You're, you're called to do it. You, you may not feel equipped to do it, but he's called you to do it. So you do it regardless. But to walk in a manner worthy means that you are considering the calling. That you are letting the, the weight of what Jesus Christ has done affect your walk. That you're saying to yourself, Lord, am I living in a way that would suggest to you that I think that what you did was worthy enough to sacrifice for. You know what I'm saying? Like, am I living in such a way today, Lord, that am I living in such a manner that you're looking down on me saying, now that's a person who considers what I did worthy and I appreciate what they're doing. Ask yourself that question this morning. Am I, am I about the gospel? Am I about the Lord? Am I doing what the Lord is calling me to do? I don't know. What does that look like? Well, thankfully, Paul explains to us a little bit of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. By the way, I want to say this. The calling is not your personal ministry. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the call to salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 is what he's talking about. That calling that, yes, he called you. He predestined you. He chose you from before the foundation of the world that you would, listen, represent him today. You. You were called, chosen, predestined before the foundation of the world to live in this culture, to live in this day, to be a representation of Jesus Christ. What an honor it is. I hope we, I hope we are walking in a manner worthy of it. Amen. Paul gives us, as we move on, verses 2 through 3, he gives us six characteristics. Now, this is an exhaustive list, but these, this is six characteristics that will accompany a walk that is worthy. Look there. It says... Those walking worthy of the calling to which they are called will do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does a walk, what does a, a walk that is worthy look like? It looks like that. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is being a servant. Listen to the least. 
it looks an awful lot like Jesus. If you're walking in a manner that is worthy, you will be walking like Jesus walked. You will be following the foot, footsteps of Jesus himself. That's why Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? You think like, well, how arrogant is that? No, the reason he said that is because he, he was walking in a manner that was worthy. He considers himself before he even says something like that, and he says, Lord, am I following your footsteps? We are never to, to point people to ourselves, but in this case, Paul says, if you look at me, you'll see Jesus. Why? Because I'm walking in that manner. The question is, will people see Jesus in you? Will they, are, you on, are you walking in his footsteps? If you are, these characteristics will be in your life. Now, Paul is literally, when it says here, I urge you, he is exhorting us, he is, he is urging us, he is requesting us, he is pleading for us, he is appealing to us that our daily walk be worthy of Jesus dying for it, of Jesus dying for it. Paul mentions six things here, firstly. We ought to be walking in humility. Humility, somebody said, is the correct self-estimation of oneself. It is the correct self-estimation of yourself. Now, as I considered humility, I think, you know, we as Christians should walk around the world like the luckiest people on earth, should we not? We should walk around like we won the lottery every day. Like we should be just incredibly overwhelmed by the love of God in our life, and it should produce this humility that says, although I have not lived in a manner that is worthy, Lord, you consider me worthy enough to die for. And Lord, how lucky am I? I'm so thankful for that. And that is humility. Humility is not, I think I'm worthless. That is false humility. Oh, I, I'm not worth anything. The Lord, you know, he, I don't know why he spends his time on me. That's all, that is, not, that is uh, not humility at all. That's pride. Humility is the idea of forgetting about yourself altogether. Just being thankful that the Lord is in your life. That is humility. Someone said it like this, that humility is the very essence uh, you know, of somebody who, once you find, once you think that you have it, you've lost it. Once you think that you have it, you've lost it. Now you are no longer, huh? I'm the humblest person I know on earth, you know. Wow. Listen, humility is the, the attitude of gratitude that believes that redemption is 100% a work of grace and grace alone. A walk worthy is accompanied with humility. Secondly, with gentleness. Notice here the connective word, and gentleness. It means that humility, from humility flows gentleness. From humility flows gentleness. It is connective. The, you can also translate this meekness. We know that Moses was considered the meekest man alive during his time. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says to be meek means you have finished with yourself altogether. Means to, to be gentle. The, defini the definitive word means to be quiet, soothing, and wild-mannered. But it also means this, and this is probably more to what Paul is speaking about, considering he's in prison and he's writing this. It also means to never avenge, to never self-assert, to never be vindictive or self-defensive. You've heard it said that gentleness is power under control. Power under control. It is God's power in you under God's control. That is true gentleness. It's a gift of the Spirit. In fact, everything we'll talk about flows from the Spirit. These are not things that we do. These are things that we are. These are things that come out of a relationship with Jesus. They're not something that you achieve for. They're something that come as a result of you sitting at the feet of Jesus to be gentle. Jesus was an example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, when the soldiers showed up and they went to arrest him, what did Jesus do? 
when his disciples began to flee and Peter pulled out a knife and began to fight, Jesus said, hold on a second. I am power under control. I am submitting to the Father's will in this situation. That is what it looks like to be gentle. David was gentile, gentle in that cave in, in Gedi when Saul laid there and he, he could have killed him, but he did not because he did not want to raise his hand against the Lord's elect, the one that the Lord had placed in power. That is being gentle, power under control. It's not, I need to stand up for myself. I will submit to the Lord and allow him to do it. A walk worthy is accompanied by humility, by gentleness, and thirdly, by patience or long-suffering. Now, you know all about this one. Patience describes a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without, listen, without complaint or irritation. Oh, that's the problem with patience, isn't it? I can't complain about it. I can't be irritated by people. Well, that is the essence of patience, actually. Listen, if we are going to walk in unity, patience is going to have to be, uh, uh, you know, something that we apply daily to each other. We have to be patient with each other. Now, let me just give you a word of advice. One of the best ways to become more patient is to just sit at the Lord's feet and let him remind you of how patient he is with you. Isn't that amazing how, how things shift when we start to apply it to our own lives? The Lord maybe speaks to you about your child and he says, see that, see what he's doing right there? You're, you're frustrated and you're upset and you're saying, oh, Lord, there is no hope for this kid. And the Lord says, you know, I, I've never said that about you, but that looks an awful lot like you. And, you know, I, I, there's always hope, but listen, you know, the Lord uses those kind of illustrations in our lives, we start to look, you know, we get beyond ourselves. We start to look at how the Lord ministers to me, how incredibly patient and loving and kind I become when I consider how patient, loving, kind the Lord is to me. If you lack patience today, sit before the Lord and allow him to just reveal how patient he is with you. It will bring some patience in your life, I promise. Fourthly, loving forbearance or bearing with one another in love. Paul, th th this, is love this is loving empathy for one another. Loving empathy for one another. Now, Peter understood what this meant very well because he denied the Lord three times. And yet, through love, because of Christ's love for him, what did the Lord do? He restored him three times. Peter, I love you. Notice the Lord connected his love with Peter uh, when he restores him in John chapter 21 where he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's wore out by the third time. Lord, of course I love you. And I'm not going to get into the word love and how that all works, but the point is this. Jesus said, if, if you love me, then you'll love my people and you will feed my sheep, you will tend them, you will feed them. Listen, if you... If you are receiving Christ's love, a recipient of Christ's love, and how forbearing he is in your life, you'll be that way towards people. P Peter understood this more than anyone. That's why he wrote in 1 Peter 4, 8, listen, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We are incredibly forbearing when we are loving each other when we're allowing the love to flow through us. Agape fuels forbearance and will always accompany a walk that is worthy. Fifthly, unity. Unity. This is the entire point of chapters 1 through 16. Unity. News flash, guys. We are in this together. You know that? We are in this thing called Christianity together. And not just us. But we are coupled with multiple other bodies uh, that are believers in Christ, that believe in the foundational truths of Jesus Christ. We are partnered in the same body, and we'll get into that in a second. We are to be unified. 
that does not mean that we unify with people that aren't unified with foundational truths in the Bible, like they don't believe that Scripture is inerrant, that it's not true. I can't unify with somebody that's not in the same foundational premise that I am. But if the foundational premise is the same, then I'm called to be unified, regardless if I agree with them or not. And, and there comes a point in time, and, and, I, and I, love, um, I love, that's what I love about Calvary Chapel is because, you know, and it's not, a, not really Calvary Chapel. I think it's the, 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 the idea, the spirit behind this is that, listen, we, we may see things differently. We're not denominational, but we're not opposed to denominations. You know, only to the divisions that they create, right? Because it's about unity. That's what I love about, you know, this whole thing is that we, are, we understand that it's not about us. We understand that it's about the body of Christ. And we're just a little small part of that body. Paul says that we are to be unified. Do you not? That was Christ's prayer in John chapter 17. When he prayed to the Father, Father, that, Lord, we are one. May they be one as we are one. He, he's praying in John 17 that you and I would be unified. Now, not just you and I here in this, this four walls. You know, we come together because we kind of believe the same things, right? Maybe not exactly, but we're sort of in the same lanes. But, you know, there may be people outside of these four walls that, you know, are maybe way off in some areas, you know, and that doesn't mean you don't have that conversation. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, greater than that, Jesus didn't say, Lord, I pray that they become one, you know, and that they all, he wants us to believe doctrinally the correct thing. Don't get me wrong. But unity is greater. Unity is greater. If it's foundational, we divide. If it's not foundational, what, what does I mean by foundational? Okay, because I think that needs to be stated. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm talking about the only way to the Father is through the Son. I'm talking about, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about are the spiritual gifts for today. That's not something we should divide over, although we do. You know, I, I'm talking about, you know, can we trust what this says? Is, did God say this? Did God breathe this out or did man write it? Is this antiquated? Is this something that we can trust in today? If you don't trust in the Bible, we have no conversation because we have no source of truth. Those are the kinds of things. I'm talking foundational truths, the Trinity. Jesus Christ being, the, being God. That is a, a salvation issue. It is a salvation issue. And you, you, know, you don't have to necessarily come to that place before you come to the cross. You don't have to have any understanding other than a full surrender, but then God will give you that understanding. How do I know? Because he did it to me. Because he did it to me. That exact issue. I was saved, and then the Lord caught up my theology later. But the theology will come. Understand, if you're following the Lord, the theology will come. Really, at the end of the day, we're talking about things that will keep you from going to heaven. Those are the sorts of things that we, we will divide on. Outside of that, yes, we have the conversation because we care about truth. And in fact, when we get to the end of this, Paul's going to say, speak the truth, listen, in love. Speak the truth in love. Like, we're not going to hold back truth, but be careful about the way that we do it, right? So it's about unity. Paul says, be eager. Be eager to maintain unity. Literally, work hard at it with intense effort and motivation toward it i.e do your best to be in unity with people listen i'm sad to report that the 20th 21st century church sucks at this the 21st century church really sucks at this at the at being unified being unified i i will i i wonder you know i wonder how the lord looks down upon his church today Look at, the, look at my banner. Look at my people. How disunified they are and how the Lord must think like, man. And he is at work in bringing unification. No, no question about that because he, bears, he, he cares about it. But I would say this. If you're going to suck at something, don't suck at this. Do not suck at being unified in the body, okay? You, you don't have to. 
If you will humble yourself, you will not have to suck at this, I promise. The Lord will help you. We need to make effort, Paul says, to be unified. Amen? Lastly, we find a walk worthy will be accompanied by peace. Listen, Paul says that we are called to the unity in the spirit and in the bond of peace. What does that mean? The bond, the belt that binds God's people together in unity. What is it? Well, it's the spirit of God. And what does he give us? Peace. He gives us peace. We just, we just read this earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. We just read that God took away the hostility, right? Towards him and towards each other, that the hostility is gone. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's come inside of us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came to give us peace with God and with each other. Paul's reminding us that that hostility that once existed, whether it's between Jew and Gentile, which is primarily what he's talking about here, that hostility was laid to rest with the lifeless body of Christ in that tomb. And it's supposed to have stayed there. Like when Jesus rose again from the dead, the only thing he took with him was peace. And then he gave it to you and I. And what did he say to his disciples when he uh, came into that upper room when they were all shaken, nervous after his resurrection? He said, peace I come to you, peace I give you. He came to give peace, right? And so what are we supposed to do with that? Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible... So far as it depends on you, not on the other person. <laughs> the finger's pointed at you. The finger's pointed at me. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So it's, it, it, the Lord is not letting you off the hook. When it comes to unity, when it comes to peace, when it comes to the body of Christ, he's saying, hey, you do what you can. You do what you can. To live at peace with all men. Humility, gentleness, patience, loving forbearance, unity, and peace. These six characteristics will accompany a walk that is worthy. Now, let's consider the basis for these characteristics. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The basis for our unity and ability to walk worthy is by way of our triune God. Did you catch that? Here we find in these three verses that Paul characterizes our, all of these things that they come through our God, through the Spirit, verse 4. Through the Son, verse 5. Through the Father, verse 6. It is speaking about our triune Godhead. He is what makes it possible for us to walk in unity and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Notice that there is one body. We talked about that. There is but one body. It's called the church. And, and we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We were sealed by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. What does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He produces one hope. He produces one hope in your heart. What is that hope? Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God will always lead you to the Son of God. Paul moves on and he says, listen, we have, we have one body, we have one spirit, we have one hope. He will unify us to the finished work of Christ, which brings us to the one Lord, who is Jesus and Jesus alone. And we sang it, there's no other name. One can be saved except through the name of Jesus. There is, listen, contrary to popular belief, one faith. There is one faith. This isn't speaking about your ability to believe in God when you can't see him. That, it's not that kind of faith. He's talking about a belief system here. There is one faith. There is one belief system in the world. That belief system will lead you to the cross of a crucified Savior who was buried and risen again, and He is the only way. There is one Lord, and there is one faith. There are not multiple roads that lead to heaven. This one faith will lead you to Jesus Christ. Thus, there is one baptism. Now, people get all hung up on this. What does that mean? 
You know, and, and we use a terminology in Calvary Chapel, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of, you know, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible does talk about, a, a con, you know, yes, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we are born again. But there is a consequential, there's, there are feelings of the Holy Spirit. There are times when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, the epi experience of the Holy Spirit, which is what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can call it the feeling, whatever you want, but there are more than one of those. But in this particular case, he's not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about baptism. Now, we know baptism. We know what it's about. We understand that it's simply a profession of faith. It's, it's when we are water baptized, we are saying, I was laid in the watery grave with Christ. I was risen to newness of life, and I belong to him. I'm a follower of Jesus. How many times do we need to do that? Once. How many times do we do that? You can do it as many times as you want, but the Lord, he only, he only looks for one, and it's the one that you're really genuine about, that you're genuinely in right relationship with. Does that mean that we should never be baptized more than once? Listen, I've been baptized twice. Not because I fell away from the Lord, but because I was in Israel, and I said, dude, I want to be baptized in the Jordan River, so I got baptized. The Lord was like, oh, Tim, you just broke the cardinal rule. You can't be baptized more than once. You just blew this whole thing up. No, it's not what it means. Listen, the one baptism that he's talking about is the genuine baptism, the one in which you laid your life. And that's why, listen to this, when you sin, you don't lose your salvation. You know, you need to be repentive and come to Christ and ask him to forgive you. Of course, yes, that's part of your relationship with the Lord. But you do not lose your relationship with the Lord because you blew it. Thus, you don't have to be baptized over and over and over and over again. If we did, dude, we'd, we'd just have a baptism set up here every day. We would baptize each other all the time, right? That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Lord will honor that one moment in your life where you are publicly confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, and that's what this is speaking about. Notice he moves on here and he says that there is one God and Father of all. Here we find the unity of our God, undeniable Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all separate people but unified as one entity called God. It's a mystery, but it's also an incredible picture of what the church is supposed to be like. Listen, Jesus isn't battling for more power than the Father. He's not like... <laughs> You guys didn't go down there and die. You know, I should get more. I should be elevated a little more. I think people should elevate me a little bit more. The Father will point us to the Son because He's the only way to the Father. But listen, there is no, they are equal. There is no, you know, I, I want to be better. That doesn't happen in our unified Godhead. The Holy Spirit isn't saying, dude, do you know how hard it is to woo these people? Like, do you know how hard-headed they are? I should probably get a, I mean, I'm doing all the work here. Yeah, Jesus, you died, but look at the, the, the hours I have to spend to get him to the cross, man. You know, he's just like, oh, he's like, I'm sweating here, you know. No, but they, they don't look at it that way. They, they are three people, but they are one. Diverse, different responsibilities, but, in, but totally equal. And that's the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what position you hold in the body of Christ. You are equal, equal to anyone here. There is no above or, or below. We are all equal. And that's what he's talking about. We should be, we should look at each other like that. Why, why do we want to, why, you know, the world pines for position. Let people in the church not do that. Be pining for position. Oh, I want to become somebody in the church. Become nobody. That's way better in the church than to try and become somebody. Because when you try and become somebody, you are moving away from the Lord. You know, it's about you. It's not about you. If the Lord makes you somebody, praise the Lord. But that doesn't make you better or make you more significant, and it does not. Listen, I, I'm a firm believer that God puts the people out front that need the most help. You know, he's like, man, you're going to have to depend on me. I need you to be a, I, need to, I need to spend a little bit more time with you, so I'm going to put you out front so you, you are fearful of that, you know? The Spirit, the Father here, He is the Father of all. What does that mean? He is sovereign. 
Jesus said it best. Not my will. He's God. Not my will, but your will be done. He's talking about the Father's will. The Father has the plan. The Father is, I, I like to say it in these terms. I know it's not probably theologically right, but it, it uh, paints the picture. The Father is the mastermind. He's the one that, that created the, the, the entirety of the plan. And it's his will that we are to follow. And through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. The Father is the, the Father of all, who is over all and through all. It's an amazing thing, the way that the Trinity works. The, the Spirit points to the Son. The Son points to the Father. The Father points back to the Son. Incredible thing. We're called to be unified and as the, that this is our, this is, this is how we are unified through our God. And it's by him giving us the ability that we can do that. This is how we are called to walk worthy of, in a, in a worthy manner. This brings us to our next point, which is the charismata that empowers a walk that is worthy. Look at verse 7. But grace, charisma in the Greek. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended in the lower regions the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. The focus on verses 7 through 11 here are upon the grace, the measure of grace that Christ has given, i.e. gifts. The gifts that Christ has given. It is charismata, plural. Charisma is the singular, that is grace. It literally means uh, expression or manifestation or embodiment of grace. Christ has given each one of us a measure of grace. What do you mean? It's not different levels of grace, i.e., you know, you're worse than I am. No. Speaking about giftings. It's speaking about giftings here. How do we know? Because that's what it says. Notice the first thing that Paul points out to us is when Christ gave us the giftings. He said Christ had to descend before he could ascend, and when he ascended is when he gave gifts to men. What is he talking about? There are those who believe that, Paul quoting Psalm 68.8 here, that he is speaking about Jesus, the descending portion of Jesus is when he came from heaven to earth. He descended. True. The ascension is obviously to heaven. So there are those who ascribe to that. That's what he's talking about. Jesus coming from heaven to earth to pay the price for us so that we can be reconciled to God. I, I think it's something different. I think that it's speaking more about, you know, what Jesus said to the Jews when they asked him, show us a sign that you're the son of man. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to you except for what? The sign of Jonah, right? who was in the belly of a fish for three days. And he said he's going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. So the idea that he descended, that he went to the heart of the earth, where, what, what is at the heart of the earth? Hades. Well, I thought Hades was hell. No, Hades, there's a compartment of Sheol, that, you know, is Sheol, and the other side of that is what we know as paradise or Abraham's bosom. And we know that in Luke chapter 16, Jesus taught a, not a parable, I believe a literal story about the rich man and Lazarus. And that, remember, the rich man who was rich on earth was poor in Hades. He was in that place of torment, that place of Sheol where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember, Jesus said there was a chasm that he, you know, as, as he could look over that chasm, he could see Abraham over there with this poor beggar, Lazarus. And the rich man is speaking across the chasm to Abraham, who, who, who is in paradise. 
What is paradise? Paradise is the place where all of the saints that were looking for Christ to come went when they died prior to Jesus rising again from the dead. Why? Because no sacrifice had been given for sins to be removed. Yes, they had the sacrificial system, but that only covered sin. It did not remove it. In order to be, uh, you know, in order to ascend to heaven, i.e. when we die, we go directly to heaven because Jesus came back, he died, he rose again from the dead, and our sins are removed. Their sins hadn't been removed. So by faith, those who were looking to Christ went to this place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. What, how'd they do that? By faith, remember? Because Abraham's the father of faith. So the rich man is talking across this chasm to Abraham. He's saying, send Lazarus over here, you know, and as he's still, like he's a, still a servant or something. Come, you know, give me some water. I, I can't hardly handle it over here. And, and Abraham, sorry, there's nothing I can do for you because that's a final decision. We are not reincarnated. That's it. When you die, you're done. You either came to Christ or you didn't. And there is no hope after that for you if you had not come to Christ. That's why it is so vital that we share the gospel with people. But, but we know that the idea there is that um, when Jesus descended, he descended to that place, to Abraham's bosom. Peter talks about it. Jesus went in there and he encouraged the believers. Hey, it's almost, almost time to ascend. Where were they ascending to? They were ascending to heaven with him. Notice what it says here that when he descended, then he ascended to what? Give gift to men. He gave gifts to men at that point after he had risen again from the dead. We know the giftings of the Lord come through who? The Holy Spirit, right? We at Calvary Chapel are continuationists. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. What gifts are we talking about? We're talking about the gifts in you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're talking about those gifts that um, we believe uh, God is still working through the Holy Spirit. You know, we give way for that, we allow the Lord to work, but that is not the primary emphasis of our gathering. The primary emphasis of our gathering is that the Word of God would be taught, that we would be equipped and prepared for the ministry, each one of us. And obviously, through that, God gives us giftings through His Holy Spirit. That's what He's speaking about. Jesus Christ gave gifts to men through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, wh what kind of gifts did he give? Well, it tells us right here he gave the gift of apostleship. He gave the gift of prophecy. He gave the, the, the gift of evangelism, the gift of shepherding and teaching. Now, these are four specific offices in the church. Apostleship, not so much anymore. There is no real, real apostles in the sense of the specific 12 that he sent into the world to start the church. That was a specific office that's been fulfilled. Um, but there are apostles in the sense of sent ones, because that's what it means. Somebody who's sent. We are sent, right? So in that sense, yeah, okay. I, I said that before. If you want to call yourself an apostle, go for it. But in that sense. But prophets. There are really not necessarily prophets that are foretelling, you know, the future, because we have the future. We know it already. It's in the Word of God. So there are prophets in the sense of the foretelling of God's word. I'm prophesying right now by speaking God's word. Every time you say a scripture, you're prophesying. It's the foretelling of God's word. Evangelism. There is a special gift that God has given some to just have the ability to speak the truth in such a way that they connect with people and God uses them to woo tons of people to the Lord. You know, I look at a guy like, you know, you know, in this day and age, Greg Laurie, who's God is using in that way. Billy Graham, obviously, is a, a huge evangelism. They're evangelists. There's, there's, there, there are people that God is specially gifted, you know, to be able to communicate the truth. Peter, when he stood after, uh, on the day of Pentecost before the Jews, had the gift of evangelism when he stood up and he spoke the truth. And it made sense to the people. And what happened? 3,000 people got saved. That's the gift of evangelism. That does not excuse you to, you know, to not share the gospel. That's not what that... This is a special gifting to, to draw, you know, more than one person to the Lord. It's a special gifting in that way. Notice that shepherds and teachers, that gifting specifically is, is one. It's not separated. It's not... The shepherds and the teachers, it's the shepherds and teachers. 
it's the exact same. The, the, this is the pastor-teacher role. This is the person who cares for the flock, tends the sheep, but also teaches. That, that is that role. And, you know, I have found that, um, you know, the Lord, the, these are not, although these are specific offices, the gifting that he's speaking about, these are across the board to you and I. He's given you one of these, or, you know, more than one of these gifts. You don't have them all. I don't have them all. But you have one of them. And the question is, are you using it? You know, the question is, are you, at this point in time, walking worthy of the calling that you've received? The calling of salvation, yes, but with salvation came what? Gifting. Came this gifting of the Holy Spirit. Are you walking in that gifting today? Are you utilizing your gifting? Are you living it out? You know, he empowered you with a special grace for his glory. And we're going to find that this is not a small issue in the church, folks. This issue right here of you using your gifting in the church becomes either a hindrance or becomes a catalyst to unity and growth in the church. It says it right here. Look at verse 12. He gave, the, or look at verse 11 first. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... Listen, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in, into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is, listen, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The entire purpose of the gifting is cultivating the body of Christ. It's a cultivation of the body of Christ. There is an equipping and a building up of the body into what maturity into Christ-likeness, the fullness of Christ. I can tell you I'm not there, and I know that you're not there. But as we come together and we gather and we use the gifting that Christ has given us, what we are doing is cultivating the body of Christ to grow, not just in terms of, you know, our relationship with the Lord, yes, but to grow. Because as we grow in Christ, we grow in maturity. As we grow in maturity, our priorities change. As we start to look at our entire life and we recognize that if Jesus is truly Lord of it, my, my walk will look like Jesus' walk. It will look like that. The giftings that I utilize, I will not hold in for myself, but I will give out to people. That's what he's talking about here. He's telling us, listen, if you are, have been given this this, this, this gifting, this gift of grace, and you're utilizing it correctly, and the body itself is utilizing the gifts correctly, they will grow into the maturity of Christ, and the maturity of Christ will take the gospel into the world. That's what will happen. We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. We are saved. Listen, when we come in here, we are ministers of the gospel. You know that? Not just when you leave here, but when you come, you're a minister. Well, no, I thought that was your job. No, that's your job too. We're ministers, all of us. You've been given, given, given gifting to be able to, you know, minister to people. So the conversations that happen here in the body should be what? Ministering. They should be building up the body to maturity so that as children, we're not tossed to and fro from every crazy teaching that's out there or from, you know, any kind of weird movement of the Spirit of God that people are proclaiming. You know, oh, look at people are laughing. They're, you know, holy laughter. That's from the Holy Spirit. Oh, is it? Listen, let's come together. Let's ask each other. What does the Bible say about that? That's what I love about, uh, you know, that's why the Bible tells us to be Bereans so that we can be, uh, you know, we can share the word with each other. Here's what I would say to you. The failure to do that is to hinder what God wants to do in the body. What God wants to do in the body. He, he wants to use you. Now, he's not hamstrung. He 
He'll do it either way, but he wants to use you. He created you. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. He created them from before the foundation of the world that you should walk in them. Walk in them. Utilize them. Yes, you're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Yeah, but let's do something before we get there. Let's utilize the giftings that Christ has given us and let's build each other up, man. Let's be unified. This is how we're unified, by, by utilizing the giftings that Christ has given us. Listen, just, just like every cell in your body is crucial to the unity of your body and your body staying healthy, so too is every Christian critical to the health of the body of Christ. You matter. What you do matters. Don't look to somebody else to do your job. Do your job. Do what Christ called you to do. You know, he gifted you to do something, so, so do it. And do it with all your heart. You know, I just want to encourage you, those of you who are afraid to step into the role that you've been called to, this is what I would tell you from my own experience is this. God will never, ever, you know, come down on you for exercising faith. He will never come down on you for exercising faith. If you step out and it was a mistake, he's a gracious father that knows you and is going to minister to you, and he knows, and he will make that work. He knows what he's doing. But the biggest hindrance to people not utilizing their giftings is fear. I'm afraid that I'm, I don't, it's not that I don't know what to do. It's I'm afraid to do what I think God's telling me to do. Don't be afraid. Step out. That's what faith is. You've got to trust him. He gave you grace to do what you're called to do, so do it. Do it with all your might, man. Step out there. Listen, there is no, there is no more exciting place to be than taking that step where you know that the Lord's calling you to do it, but you have no idea how it's going to work out. Wake up every day like that. And take that step, Lord. I'm going to step out in the gifting that you've, that you've given me. I believe that this is it. I'm stepping out. You don't know if there's a footstep there or not. That's the exciting part. And you don't know what he'll do. So be, be obedient, man. Do it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this set of scriptures, Lord, that exhorts us to a walk that is, uh, we're called to, Lord, in a manner that is worthy. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that ministers to us, that equips us, that gives us the capability to walk in this manner, Lord. We thank you for the, the, characteriz- the characters that come as a result of it, Lord. Um, and we just ask you this morning, Father, that if we are not in that place of utilizing all that you've given us, Father, that you help us today. That you remove fear from our hearts, Lord, that you help us to just step out and to step into what it is that you're calling us to, Lord. We thank you for your son who died so that we could walk, who bled on a cross, not as if that was even the most excruciating thing, who took our wrath. That the cup of the Father was poured out on the Son for me. Lord, we are humbled this morning. We ask you, Lord, as we take a moment to be reminded of Christ, what he's done. That, Lord, if our walk isn't where it needs to be, that we start this morning by just a simple confession, Lord, I need to be forgiven for these things. And that you move us from that place of complacency, Lord, to a place of action in our lives where we apply, where we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've given us, Lord. So we just want to spend a few minutes at your feet, Lord, thinking about what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, may you just draw them. May they confess, surrender to you, Lord, their sin, Lord, and their need for you, and crowning you king of their life, Lord, complete and total surrender, and saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. 
I receive you as my king. Your blood paid for me. I believe in your death and resurrection. And Lord, so we just ask you this morning to just move afresh upon us. Lord, pour your spirit out in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.